Well, good morning, church. Happy Thanksgiving. Oh, that was kind of sad. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's much better. I'm Scott Weatherford. Really glad you're here. I hope you're excited. Uh, one thing that we have done here in Texas, in fact, this is going to be the first year of a tradition. Any of you Aggies out there? You know how that is. Do it once. It's a tradition, right? Whoop. Okay. Uh, we're going to, instead of turkey, we're having brisket for Christmas. Isn't that very Texas? Yeah, so we got it from the best brisket place in the world, which is right here in Wimberley, uh, Creekside Cookers, a shameless plug for my favorite uh, barbecue restaurant. Someone came to me the other day and says, does your congregation know that you're addicted to barbecue? I said, look at me. They don't have to guess, okay? But we're going to continue this series, Wimberly Strong, and I hope you've enjoyed it so far. I know I have, looking at strength and courage and hope. Uh, last week, the talk on hope was for me, and I think y'all maybe got some benefit from that. Tara has gone to Canada, and she, uh, she's coming back today. Thank God. I've been, uh, thank you, Jesus. I do not do well without that woman. I don't know what to do, what to think, what to say, what to wear. In fact, I wore my blue cat coat. Tara hates this coat. It's too hot for me to wear it right now. She says you can see me from space, and she never wants me to wear it. So I wore it today because she wasn't here, and now I'm too hot to wear it. So Tara's even influencing the weather in my life. But she's in Canada, and uh, she's up there with Melinda. We sent Melinda up to do some advanced training with a great children's ministry there. We sent Amber, my new assistant, up to uh, train with my assistant who was with me for five and a half years in Canada. So they're up there enjoying the cool weather. And uh, she said last night, she was at church last night, they have Saturday night church. <clears throat> she said literally dozens and dozens of people came up to her and said, we listen to Scott online every week. We listen to Scott online every week. And about uh, between 800 and 1,000 people watch us online every week. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that just incredible? So welcome online viewers. We're glad you're here, whether you're watching it live or you're recording it, uh, or you're, you can skip over the nonsense. That's awesome. That might be your best way to watch is to skip over the nonsense, but come on. I, I like a, a crowd, but we've been in this series and today we're going to talk about, I think perhaps the most important aspect of our lives and that's vision. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs without vision, the people perish. Have you heard that? Actually, uh, that, that proverb literally means this. Without vision, the people cast off restraint. And they go their own way. And if you look at the book of Judges, you see where going on our own way leads us. It leads us down a road of just, uh, well, disaster. So today we want to focus in on vision. I, I grew up in the, in the 60s. I was born in 1958. And grew up in the 60s. And about 1960, my parents discovered I had terrible eyesight. And when I was 18 months old, I started wearing glasses. Now, I, these, are just, you know, these are just reading glasses. I wear them because I need to look smarter. Plus, I need to see what I'm reading. That's, uh, the older you get, the more you can't see, right? That's a vision talk right there. We'll get there later. But um, I, I started wearing glasses when I was 18 months old. And uh, man, I remember my mother says this. I would wake up in the morning. I said, Mama, give me my glasses. My eyes are cold. <laughs> and I, I grew up with, with wearing glasses. And it was amazing. I never thought of my, my eyesight as a, dis a disability, even though it was very bad. 
fact, my eyesight was, I had 2100 vision in one eye, 2080 in the other eye. It was really poor, but I still made the high school baseball team. I still played sports. My father being a coach taught me how to compensate for my vision. He taught me how to watch the the rotation of a baseball as he came in, how to pick it up, how to pick up the mannerisms of a pitcher before he threw a different pitch. And so without the ability to really see well, I could still hit a baseball because I was coached well by my dad. And and when I tried out for baseball, you know, I was considered a joke because of my glasses, but then I started hitting the ball and their coaches could, this kid could hit because I was well coached. I was well coached. But those glasses also created a great opportunity to be bullied. Uh, Kids would come up to me, they would hold up two Coke bottles and say, hey, Scott, we got some new glasses for you. Now, what they didn't know was that that was a prelude to a fight. They found out soon that there was a bull behind their taunting. They chose to bully me, but they got the bull. And I, I, I'm going to unashamedly admit this. In my seventh grade year, I was in 21 fist fights in school. That's kind of a lot, isn't it? Now, I'm not that guy anymore. I just want y'all to know. But it was just that competitive spirit. And I, I, then, then I became the champion for other people that were bullied. I would watch as somebody was being picked on. I would befriend them and I would defend them. And it was just something that this vision thing was, well, it was an opportunity. A few years ago, Tara and I were at a conference, and uh, it was a leadership gathering, a leadership summit. Uh, Bill Hybels was speaking. He's a pastor of a small church in Chicago, church of about 20,000 a weekend. And he was talking on vision and talking about biblical vision. And Tara wrote on my study page, I have to adjust my microphone. Ooh, that's better. Okay, sorry. That was creepy. I apologize. Anyway, Uh, She wrote on my study guide, she said, you have terrible eyesight, but God has given you great vision. I've always wanted, even when I was a little kid, to see what God saw and to join him in making that a reality. Looking back over the course of my life, I, I know God called me to ministry when I was 15, but I think I was eight or nine when this stirring started up in me about leadership and about building people and about caring for people and about being a part of that. And I, I know God, God is so awesome. He weaves the corners of our lives for his glory and our good. He, he is always making a way for us. Listen to me again. He is always making a way for us. And God will make a way when we don't think there is a way. And he has called you and gifted you and saved you for his purpose and his glory. And your life is never going to be what it should be until you fully surrender to live off for Jesus. You will always rub against yourself until you rely on a great God. And that may be worth tweeting out. You you guys know what Twitter is, right? I know Dan does. Uh, Dan tweets most of the time. His tweets involve me, and I appreciate that, Dan. Thank you. We have to widen your circle of influence. Well, God has brought us together here at First Baptist Wimberley for this season, for his reason. Our, our connection is not by chance. 
Our, chain, our connection is by the intentionality of our God. Like I said, Tara's in Canada, and so many of the Canadians go, Tara, eh? I hear, uh, I hear Pastor Scott's, uh, you know, eh, back in uh, being a pastor again, eh? Ah, yeah, yeah, we knew he couldn't stay out of it. We knew what he, God had him. We just knew that consulting thing was just for a season, eh? And the truth is, to fulfill our God-given vision, we have to surrender to God's direction. And he's brought us together that we might do that. Many people go through their lives and they never fulfill their vision. They never fulfill God's vision for them. Many churches exist for centuries and they never fulfill God's vision for them. Now, God's vision for us is universal as the church, but it's also specific and individual for each church family, just like it's specific and individual for each of you. And how do we know how to live like that? You know, life is too short and far too difficult to live any other way than for God's glory. But we somehow think that living for God's glory is an afterthought instead of the, the thought. Living Wimberly strong is to live out God's vision for us, for me, for you. To live with strength, to live with courage, to live with hope. Man, did you need some hope this week? Need some hope this week? As our world continues to spiral. Did you need some hope this week? I would say that I've been amazed by the hypocrisy of our media and our politicians regarding sexual assault. But the truth is, I am not amazed. It's rather predictable. Does God want us to live this way? Or does he want us to live another way? Vision is often misdefined. We often confuse our vision, our plan, with God's vision and God's plan. A few years back, I read a great book by George Barna called A Fish Out of Water. And in that, he made a, just a, a huge a list of the differences between our vision and God's vision. So I want to read this for you. I usually don't read to you, but I'm going to read to this, this to you today because I, I want you to get it. Here it is. Human vision, and I, I think, yeah, it's even up on our screen. Human vision is based on trying to maximize our resources and skills. God's vision is based on using us beyond our capacity. Now, some of you Baptists, that just scared you to death. Because we want to play it safe. God is not safe. Oh, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Lie. It is not safe. But he is good. And he is sustaining. And he is eternal. Human vision is based on, on accomplishing the most appealing dream. God's vision challenges us to accomplish an impossible or improbable dream. 
As a staff, we were going through an exercise on we see a day. In fact, I took many of you through that when we did the game plan. We see a day. And there was two outrageous visions that were, that were delivered. One said, we see a day when slavery is ended. And some of you are going, well, that happened in the 1800s, the Emancipation Proclamation. Did you hear that? There are 27 million slaves today in the world. More slaves today than ever in human history. It's just gone unnoticed. Satan loves to go unnoticed. That's an improbable dream. The second improbable dream that we said, somebody had the audacity to say, we see a day when everyone tithes. Bad chance on that one, right? Or maybe not. Human vision is often based on us what brings us delight. God's vision is a reflection of what brings him delight. Human vision is dangerous because it inflates our ego. God's vision is dangerous because it demonstrates his power at work within us and our complete inadequacy. Human vision drives us to push ourselves to the limit. God's vision drives us to our knees in submission, humility, and obedience. And some of you think, well, pastor, we can't do that. Good. We want to live in such a way that we only do what only God can do. Some of y'all ain't going to come back. See, this guy's crazy. Human vision represents a commitment we develop and pursue until we're tired of the battle. God's vision becomes an obsession we embrace until he enables us to fulfill it or he brings us home. Human vision reflects our cultural obsession. I love this one. Our cultural obsession. I face this with pastors all the time. Our cultural obsession. Size, speed, status, and success. I want you to listen to me. I do not desire this church to be a large church. I desire this church to live all for Jesus. Size is God's business, not ours. Are y'all with me on that? I've pastored big churches, and they bring big problems, but they also create big opportunities. It's the health of the church. I love what my friend Rick Warren says. It's not the seating capacity. It's the sending capacity of a church that matters. God's vision reflects biblical obsession, people, holiness, love, and transformation. Now, the question is today for us today is how do we live out this vision? What are the core commitments we have to have in order for us to see this vision become reality? How can we live that way? How can we live out God's vision as a church, as an individual? How can we, we know what God sees? How can, we, how can God pull back the curtains of heaven that we might see what he sees? And I'll tell you something, it's not that difficult because it's found in his word. And we're people of his word. We'll find the vision of God that he's given to us. You know, as we finish this series, let's look back on the life of a guy who had the most unlikely succession plan ever. He had to follow Moses. And his name was Joshua. Can you imagine following Moses as the leader? This past week, we were up in Dallas and we went to the, uh, 
the uh, Baptist, uh, let's see, the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, SBTC. We went to that convention. Scott Tidwell and Wyatt and myself. We all stayed in the same room. I thought I was in a den of bears. <laughs> but we, uh, we bared one another's burdens, did we not, Scott? We were there at, at, at Criswell College, and it's named after W.A. Criswell, who pastored the First Baptist Church of Dallas for just decades. In fact, they say that he pastored that church for two years after he died. <laughs> How do you follow that? How do you follow that legacy? How do you extend beyond that? And so we're going to look for the life of Joshua and we're going to see that God has a pattern for us to live out his vision. And I want you to go on this adventure with me. And I think God is going to bless us. Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor. You guys seem to be a little serious this morning, maybe because I came out of the shoot just a little serious. I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning and say to them, leave me alone. I want to listen to this. All right. Some of y'all agreed. Some of y'all just woke up like, huh? All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say this morning. And I thank you for how good and great and gracious you are. And I pray that you speak through me. That it'll not be my thoughts or my words, but Father, your truth that will lead us to become everything you want us to be individually and as a people, that we will see what you see and make that our passion to see that become reality. Thank you for this church, Father. Thank you. I was so grateful here this Thanksgiving season. I'm so grateful to you and you're placing me here among these wonderful folks to live for your glory. We commit ourselves to hearing your word and being doers of your word this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Go ahead and take your, your bulletin out and uh, take out your take the weekend with you notes. There's several inserts in the bulletin. Uh, we've actually, uh, Dan, thank you. Dan's redesigned our bulletin. Did he do a great job with that? Dan, Dan Dan's not just a musician. He is a genius. He might be a magician as well as a musician, but uh, he's actually provided more blank space for you to take notes. Isn't that awesome? And they go, well, you just don't ever give us enough for him to take notes. Well, there it is, okay? And there's Bible readings to go with this. Also, there's two other inserts in there. I want one of them, this Christmas at first, we'll give you a little calendar of what's going to happen. And the second one is our preamble to our constitution. I want you to go ahead and take that one out and hold it in your hand because we're going to get that. We're going to get to that in, in just a little while. We're going to talk about that together. Here's the first thing I want you to jot down or it's in your notes. We must see what God sees. How in the world do we do that? Let me read. We're going to be in Joshua chapter one. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me or it'll be up on the screen today. I'm using the ESV uh, version. It's the same version that's in your pew back uh, in front of you. And let's read it together. It'll be on the screen. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Wow. How about that for your epitaph? A servant of the Lord. That's on his tombstone, servant of the Lord. Actually, Moses said this about himself as well. He was, Moses wrote this, that Moses was the most humble man in all the earth. And that word hum, humility, humilitas, as the Greek Septuagint translates that, means a submission of rights and privileges for the good of others. Better said, Moses was the most submissive to the will of God than any man on the earth. That, my friend, is humility. It's not subservienthood or cowing down or being a coward. It's submission to the will of God. The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, 
My servant Moses is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you, this Jordan River, and you and all these people into the land I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Let every place be the, that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you, just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and, and, and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Joshua was given the assignment to continue the vision that God had given Moses. And so have we. We stand on the backs of those that have gone before us. 133 years ago, a group of people who were settling the wilds of Texas started a church at Jacob's Well. They started that church not for the place of convenience or community, even though it was both of those places. They started it with the biblical mandate to be the hope of the world. And their world consisted of the small hamlet that did not even exist called Wimberley. We stand on the backs of those folks. And through generations of how the church matured and changed and it grew and its locations changed. I wasn't here when y'all, when y'all moved, obviously, from Jacob's Well. That was a long time ago. Or when you moved downtown, that was a long time ago. Or when you moved over on the, uh, the, on the road here that kind of goes around uh, Wimberley, that the old church, you guys call it, I, I wasn't here. In fact, the old church really wasn't the old church. There was three more churches before that church building. And some of y'all, we missed the old building. Which one? And then you moved here, and God graciously planted you in a spacious place. And the moving of God was never about a location or a building, but it was about a people. And it's us. We stand on the backs of those faithfulness of others. You've had faithful pastors who served and preached God's word. Some of them were aggravated greatly. And some of them were celebrated greatly. Dr. Cheatham is here. One of, he was with you for 10 years, I believe, Dr. Cheatham. And he's here enduring my pontification this morning. But we, we're grateful to where we've gone before. Now get this. Joshua picked up the, band, the mantle of Moses. What most of us don't understand is that God was grooming Joshua intentionally for this time. You see, when they were in the desert, everywhere Moses went, Joshua was, was with him. Read carefully about when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, and you will find Joshua there. Read carefully. When you see Moses going into the tabernacle to hear from God, the Bible says Joshua would often linger in the tabernacle to hear more from God. God is using everything in your life, everything. 
your past pain, your past pleasure, your past hopes, your past vision, to groom your heart for this moment that you may fulfill and live in his vision. Mm. We are out to live out that vision that Jesus gave the church. And Jesus answered him. This is in Matthew 16, 16 through 19. I, I started just to, to preach on this passage this week, but I got all wound up. I'm going to unwind right now. And Jesus answered him. That's answered Simon or Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood does not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, I wish we could see the, language, the body language of the Bible. We can't see the language of the Bible. Jesus says to Peter, you're the small stone. And then he uses a different Greek word for foundation stone. And I'm sure Jesus said, probably grabbed Peter by the shoulder and says, you're Peter, you're the rock, you're a little stone. But I am the foundation stone. I am the foundation stone. Your life will be dashed against the rocks of your depravity until you build your life on the foundation stone of Jesus Christ. I am the foundation stone. And I will build my church. I will build my church. And the word church in the Greek is ecclesia or ecclesia, either way you want to say that. It's the people of God, the movement of God, the assembly of God. It's not a dead gum buildings. Buildings will not go to heaven. People go to heaven. We are the church. If this building burns down tomorrow, we will still be First Baptist Wimberley because we are the church of God. Hmm. I think I've done this before before you, but I'm going to do it again. You've done it before. Here's the church and here's the steeple. Open up and look all the people heresy. Because we're the church. Don't teach your kids that mess. We're the church. I will build my church and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And Jesus intentionally used the language of the gates of hell for he was standing at Caesarea Philippi. And if you go with me to Israel, we will go to Caesarea Philippi and you will see the gates of hell. It's a crack in the rock there where the temples of Dionysus and other false gods were there on this rock face. And there was a crack in the rock called the gates of hell that the ancient people believed that demons would pass to and fro from the underworld from that cleft, that crack in the rock. And Jesus said, I will build my church and that mess going on there will prevail against it. In fact, those people who are worshiping that false God are going to come to know the one true living God. They're going to give up their depravity and their debauchery and they're going to learn about me and their lives are going to be changed. Their future is going to be full and their home will be heaven. I will build my church. And Jesus is still building his church and we are a part of it. Mm. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
That's why we tell jokes at St. Peter's at the gates with the keys. Because we miss the point. We, we don't do proper exegesis. Peter is not at the gates with the keys to heaven. He's not. What Jesus is saying here, listen to me, church, what you permit is what you'll get. I'm going to give you permission to live in the power of heaven or you could live in your own stupidity. But I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my church. And I want my life to be measured by what's permitted in heaven, not what's permitted on earth. Mm. We see the vision of the church being lived out in Acts chapter 2, and we see it living, being lived out today. And this, this is amazing to me that we could see what God sees. And God pointed out, I didn't write this in my notes, but I got I to get on this for a second, that God showed Joshua a vast land and the Hebrew children only occupied 10% of it. Only occupied 10% of it. What if they had taken God serious and believed God fully and become everything God wanted them to be? What if we in this little out-of-the-way hamlet of a town in the heart of the hill country, Texas, took God serious and became everything he desired us to be. Are we willing to settle for the 10%? Are we desiring the 100%? You see, our lives as a church are driven by many things. And we get distracted. We're driven by our traditions. How do you know you're driven by your tradition? When you say, we ain't never done it that way before. Now, some of y'all looking at me and said, well, that ain't your problem. Hmm. Or we're driven by our programs. This is what we've always done. You know, everything has a shelf life. Did you, did you realize that? You have a shelf life. Some of y'all expired. <laughs> Just haven't gone yet. Kind of like that buttermilk in the back of my refrigerator. It's gone bad, but it's still there. Driven by your personalities. And so many churches look for the magic bullet pastor, the one who's full of life and full of fire, and that'll resurrect the church. Well, I'll tell you something. Personalities burn bright, but they burn out. We would see Jesus, not a personality. Some were driven by their denomination. Somebody asked me the other day, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? I'd say I'd be ashamed. <laughs> Actually, I'm ordained in three different denominations. But are we really driven by those denominations? Some are driven by their buildings. And their buildings become a sacred edifice. Some are driven by money. You know, I know a church is driven by money because we become a people who lack faith. And we say things like, how much will it cost, not what will it do? 
Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's provision. Do, do we believe that? Well, let's see what the budget's presented, what we believe, okay? <laughs> oh, we could be led by God's vision, and God's vision is for us to be the hope of the world. Hmm. Personally, you could be driven by something other than God. And what you see, when we see what God sees. I want you to look at the bookmark I've given you. It's uh, got our, our logo on it, our new logo, which uh, you see those. I want to explain our logo to you. It's got the W in it. We wanted to make it look like a Texas brand because we are Texas. First Baptist W, obviously, is for Wimberley. The five circles represents honor, connect, grow, and serve, and share. Honor, connect, grow, serve, and share. But I'm not going to read this to you. But you voted on this. You voted on this. You said we are going to be this. It's what you voted on. You might want to reread it. Because, folks, this ain't safe. This is who we say we are. Are we what we say? Hmm. Here's the second thing. I got to go quick. Whoo, I'm long-winded today. We must be willing to take a risk, a great risk. Let me read on to Joshua for you. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Now, when Joshua heard that, he remembered so much about God being with Moses. He remembered Moses' face shining with the glory of God. He, he remembered the, dead, the Red Sea splitting. He, he remembered the quail coming in, the manna coming down. He remembered those things as, as Moses spoke to the rock and struck the rock. He remembered all those things. He remembered when the sons of Korah stood up in rebellion against Moses, the leader of God, and God opened the earth and swallowed them. And then the very next day, the people grumbled again. What? Joshua knew those things, and he heard these promises of God. This Joshua knew that the vision of God would require his whole life. All of it. Do we realize the same? And God wants us to be willing to go all in with him all the time for him. And as I wrote that this week, I got convicted. Because sometimes I just won't watch football. And the Lord said, that's all right. Sometimes you need to watch football. Because sometimes when you're watching football, you ain't aggravating everybody else. But I want to live all for Jesus all the time. You see, we live in a day of half-hearted commitment. Wouldn't you agree with that? And we commit when it's convenient. 
And we failed to realize the power of God to transform a community. God says he'll be with us and he will. When we choose to live God's vision, he will have God's power, God's presence, and God's provision. This is true of us personally and as a church. What could God do through a church that was totally committed to him? What could we do? What could God do through a church that was totally committed to him? Instead of we, it should be God. It's God in my notes. Somehow the slide, I probably messed it up. What could we do? What could God do through a church that was totally committed to him? What in our thinking, what in our behaviors need to change? Last weekend, Tara and I went back to Victoria, Texas, where we, uh, we started a church. We were there for 15 years. And there's been so many times in my life that I regretted leaving there. But I felt like it was time to go. And we asked for God to direct us, and he led us. And, and I'm looking back over the course of the last 10 years, had I never left Victoria, I would have never found you. And now some of you are going, why in the world did he leave Victoria? <laughs> it just, and we were back there, and uh, it was so much fun. Um, I, I got to sing for uh, you know, sing, and it was it was really fun. And um, I saw so many people whose lives were changed so profoundly, who were rescued and redeemed and restored, and who were serving, and how God was using that church in an incredible way. And I got to see God's vision becoming a reality in just a little snippet of time. And I, I saw the, several of the brave folks who started that church. One was an army colonel who was an advisor in Vietnam. And that's before we got engaged in the Vietnam War. And he was advising a group of Vietnamese soldiers and everyone in his platoon was killed and he was left for dead in a rice paddy in South Vietnam. His church before had never invited him into leadership. And we were a church plant and he was one of the core people. So he became a leader. We didn't have any other choice. I had no idea that that leader was a hero. And now I'm watching him now as an old man. He's still a hero because he decided to live all for Jesus. Wow. The night he was ordained as a deacon at our church, he gave the testimony about God's faithfulness to him while he was left for dead in the battlefield. He said the Lord Jesus was there with him. As the Viet Cong came and kicked his body thinking he was dead, the Lord Jesus was shielding him. He said he literally could see the presence of the Lord Jesus with him in that time. And I'll, folks, I want to tell you something. That testimony changed that church. And that church still is living all for Jesus. What needs to change in us? We must stay true to God's word. We are biblicist, folks. 
We are biblicist, folks. We hear the scripture. Only be strong and courageous. Be careful to do according to, do according to all the, the law of Moses, my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it from the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. We are people of the word. Everything we say, everything we teach, everything we believe, everything we do, every way we're structured is according to God's word. Everything. Success is found in obedience to God's word. Period. Success is not found in your title. Success is not found in your recognition. Success is not found in your pocketbook. Success is found in obedience to God's word. Church, do you believe that? I have to remind myself, and I'm going to fly through the rest of this. We must never give up. We must never give up. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wherever you go. Last night, Tara was at uh, First Alliance Church where I was pastor for five and a half years. And preaching this weekend is Mattel Bokenzo. Mattel Bokenzo has a PhD in systematic theology from Trinity Seminary in Chicago. He lived, he grew up, he's a Congonese. He grew up in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, one of the poorest nations in the world. And he pastored there for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. He would come to Canada and teach for four months in the seminary in Canada and so he could make enough money to go back and live in Congo and pastor the church there in Bulma, which Bulma is a great port city. It's where um, Stanley, the, uh, the newspaper reporter, settled in to meet uh, Dr. David Livingston. Dr. Livingston, I presume, that famous kind of historical account. Kenzo pastored there. Um, I was so intimidated. He would show up to hear me preach. Now, every preacher, Dr. Cheatham, you can help me with this. Every preacher's a little bit insecure about their theological verisimilitude. Isn't that true? We just always a little bit, well, you know, I think I might have got this right, but he was always so encouraging. We went over to, to, to Congo and we helped train his pastors. Now, God has placed him in Quebec, Canada, and he's over churches there. Guess who he wants to come to Quebec to teach pastors? Guess who's going to get to go with me? Y'all. And God wants this church to be a teaching church where we would give of ourselves to go beyond ourselves to help build the kingdom of God in a greater way. It's part of our vision. Could we, could this church make a difference in churches all over the world? 
Could we? It's one, two yeses. Could we? Will we? Let's go. Let's go. To be the hope of the world. We say, Scott, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And they never stopped me. Let's go. The Lord God says he'll give it to us as we go. You see, we can never give up. We can never surrender. We're passing on a legacy. We can never give up. We can never surrender. For eternity hinges, hinges on the balance. It, the eternity's in the balance of what we say and what we do in this generation. We can never give up. Our lives are defined by our commitments and our commitments to live all for Jesus says we will not surrender until our last breath exhales from our lungs. We will not surrender. And even when that last breath goes, God promises the blessing to the thousandth generation because we chose to live for him. It never expires. We'll never give up. What we do together is too important. I was in conversation with a staff person not too long ago, and they said, well, you know, I hate to invite people to come and serve. And I went, what are you talking about? He said, well, I, I just hate because I know they're busy. And I said, listen, here's for, I want you to learn this. Never say no for somebody. And we are inviting people in to the greatest cause ever, and that's the kingdom of God. Never apologize to invite people into ministry because ministry defines our lives. Jack, I see you over there with Carpenter's Helpers. Do you ever, ever go apologize? I'm sorry to bother you. Would you mind go helping us? No. Jack says, buckle up and giddy up. Truck's running. Let's go. Because we're inviting them into the greatest thing. We're inviting you. Join God, making your life count for him. You see, I believe that we're in the second reformation. We're celebrating the 500 year of Luther nailing the edicts, the edicts to the Wittenberg door. You probably ought to do a little research. Luther, he risked it all. He risked it all. Any of y'all grew up Lutheran? A couple of hands. Yeah? Okay. Luther risked it all. But we're living in the second Reformation. The first Reformation was theological. Well, Luther said, and those around him said, we're going to live on five commitments. We're going to be only Scripture. Scripture will define us. Only grace will save us. Only faith will live by only Jesus, he's the only way, and only for God's glory will we do anything. That's the five, sola gracia, sola fide, sola scriptura, uh, sola della gloria, solo a bunch of Latin stuff. Anyway. <laughs> and he said those things. But we're in the second reformation, and that is to return the church to making disciples, building lives, all for God, building lives that honor God, all for Jesus. We are in the second reformation. And my friend, First Baptist Wimberley, might as well be Wittenberg, Germany, because the edicts have been nailed to our door and we're living it out. That excites me. 
There are four pillars of the process. Doctrinal purity. We have to be, know what we believe and why we believe it. Philosophical unity. I was listening to a pastor preach on Monday night, and he says, we really don't even know what a disciple of Jesus is. And I wanted to raise my hand and say, I do. It's someone connected to Jesus and connected to the family called the church. It's someone to grow, to be like Jesus through biblical discipline so we can think like Jesus, see like Jesus, hear like Jesus. It's someone who serves God by serving people, and it's someone who contagiously shares the love of God in word and deed. That's a disciple. And that's what we're committed to. Structural clarity, that our structure complements our doctrine and our philosophy. And then finally, relational integrity. We're going to love each other deeply from the heart. Why in the world are we coming back tonight to pray and to praise and eat pie so we can love God and love one another? That's why. And we love pie. Mm. I have three pies. One of them, two of them are going to make it here. Maybe one, but two of them are going to make it here, okay? And it's all about us being together for God's glory. All right, let me quit. Y'all had enough of me? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> one honest person in the room. That's awesome. Y'all, I have limited eyesight. I do. But I want to see what God sees. Don't you? Don't you? And I want to live in God's vision. Don't you? Would we dare say on this fine day in November, in this beautiful place, would we dare say, Jesus, I'm yours? And Jesus, we are yours. Maybe today is the day you need to give your heart to Jesus. The great evangelist Billy Graham says that 80% of church folks do not know Jesus. I don't want you to miss Jesus. It's not what you show up to that matters. It's what shows up in you that matters. Maybe today's the day you need to say, yes, Jesus, I'm yours. And I know today is the day that we say, Jesus, we are yours. Let's go. All for Jesus.